Welcome to the Data for Disaster Risk Reduction podcast series. This series is a reflection on the systematic use of data for handling the disasters and effective decisions for post-disaster recovery. It focuses on the role of data at each stage of the disaster management cycle that are mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery. This podcast series would be offering examples of various disasters and the timely decisions taken to reduce the impact of the disaster and minimize the losses. This series is brought to you jointly by CoData, Tomkin and Taylor, and Center for Applied Geomatics, SEPT Research and Development Foundation. Via this series, we bring to you reflections on the interdisciplinary approaches and the innovative use of data taken by various cities for disaster risk reduction, offering examples of good practices and lessons learned. Hi, this is Shelly Gandhi from SEPT Research and Development Foundation. Today, we bring to you an episode on data and trends for climate change risks. In this episode, we have Ellen Kilman, Professor of Disaster and Health from University College London in the UK and University of Agdrid in Norway, and Bapun Fakrudin, Chair Codata Task Group, Fair Disaster Risk Reduction. I welcome you both on the episode. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much, Shelley. Hey, good to see you, Ilan, after quite a long time. And thanks for joining this podcast series. So we'll be like to a little bit discuss today on the how the data and trend for, especially on the climate change risk assessment or risk management, whatever you say. Obviously, you can see like, some of those developed countries who has been put strong regulation like TCFD and have to have their own national climate change risk assessment or sectoral climate change risk assessment. Data is play a quite critical role to understand their overall national or sectoral risk. However, when we go to the, some of those developing countries, we see often there's a quite challenges on data harnessing and also understanding those data or integrating those data into the risk assessment. How you see as an expert in this area, that what are the major challenge here you to finding those data for risk assessment and what could be the way forward you see from your opinion? No, these are the issues that we're facing today. I'm not convinced that any of us is necessarily an expert because the topic is so vast and we've so much yet to do. When we are looking at data, a lot of it tends to be the biases and what the data are. So we're talking about risk. We're talking about disasters. We're talking about calamities and what people can do about them, which means that we go back to the baseline that disaster risk, in fact, risk in general, comes from a combination of what's called hazard and vulnerability. And these are sort of terms that are used in the field, but basically it means that the climate is changing. We are contributing substantively to it. And that means that the weather is changing. That's sort of the hazard side. On the other hand, people are poor. They are marginalized, they're oppressed, they don't have a lot of opportunities. So when it rains a bit, or a lot, or when it floods a bit, or a lot, or there's a minor drought or a major drought, they have no resources, no options, no one around in order to assist them. And that is what causes a disaster, not the weather changing, which is what we call vulnerability. So on the hazard side, on the weather, we actually have a plethora of Earth observations, particularly quantitative data, time series, high spatial resolution. What we are missing often is local understandings and local perceptions, qualitative data, and local contextual cultural interpretations of the quantification. On the vulnerability side, it could all be there. We could look at who is poor, 
who is marginalized, what groups do not count, who is left out, but often we don't want to. And to that extent, dividing countries by developed and developing or the pejorative first world, third world, all that is really out of date. We know what happens in the climate realm due to the international negotiations. The terminology there is Annex 1 and Annex 2, but that's political. When we look at smaller countries, it could be a lot easier to find out the vulnerability because you can talk to people, you know what's going on. Whereas larger countries have to aggregate or have to take a representative sample. Similarly, most countries have plenty of resources which they could put into dealing with climate change, they could put into data, they could put into analysis, they just choose not to. So I actually don't see a lot of difference between so-called developed, so-called developing. I really don't find that differentiation to be useful. If we want to understand what's going on with climate change risk, we need to focus on the people much more than the weather. We need to get a combination of quantitative and qualitative data about the people. We understand how to disaggregate it according to different individual and collective characteristics without neglecting the aggregation and the overall trends. And we need to focus on what the people are experiencing and how to do better for them. Excellent. Thanks, Dylan. I think i also like to just add here, I mean, obviously, on the weather side, we have quite systematic observation data. A large amount of data is that countries collecting, contributing through regional as well as global mechanism. And that data is really using for lots of good modeling on climate science, climate models, which gives us 1,000-year projection, 100 years projection. But when it comes to the people and vulnerabilities, that's where actually all the challenge comes because of the data, lack of data, standardization of data, data interoperability, data fairness, which is like a data findable, data accessible, data interoperable, and data reusability. And that's where I think the risk assessment getting compromised because you have a quite good hazard data, which is quite dynamics and available in a systematic manner. But whereas country or as a region or globally, we couldn't able to have those high quality or regular time series, a vulnerability database, which can be worked together hand in hand to generate some sort of like a quantitative or semi-quantitative assessment on the climate or disaster risk. And, and that's maybe one of the emphasis we like to see how in the future country understand the needs for those data set and how we actually able to a little bit put some transition. Because, you know, when you're talking about everyone has some resources, either big money or moderate money or less money. But it's, at the end of the day, it's a political, it's also priority that where do you actually put your priority? Is it uh, making a road easier, more priority? Or is it enhancing your telecommunication easier, more priority? So that's kind of things need to be bring forward to better understand the risk within the country. That's absolutely it and very well articulated. We need the satellites. We need the millennial scale projections of the future climate. And we've also done amazingly well at reconstructing past climate, not just from observations, but from all sorts of proxies, different approaches, working out different environmental data. So this demonstrates how certain we are that our activities are changing the climate rapidly and substantively with huge implications. So let's take the cost of a couple of satellites and put it into understanding people better. Let's absolutely not, not, not avoid the supercomputers and the huge projections and the large-scale uh, time series analyses, we need those. But let's put equivalent resources into understanding the people. This is exactly it. If we want to help people, 
if we want to reduce and manage risks in order particularly to avoid disasters, then we need to think about the people. Of course, not neglect the environment. We need that data, but we are doing very well, particularly on quantitative data. Absolutely. I think the one aspect I just like to also emphasize here is like a digital maturity aspect. If you look at the aerospace, health, pharmaceuticals, or even in a computer design or chip producer, manufacturer, they are quite agile in their own business because they use a quite quantum of data to understanding their risk and how they could actually more operate. Because if, if you have a plane accident or air accident, which is a catastrophic, and they try to manage those risks because it's not only human loss, but also industrial loss. Because if your one plane actually damages a huge reinsurance losses. So you make digital maturity so advanced that you actually make everything sort of like automation. But if you look at on the disaster or climate change side, we are actually quite weak in that space. And maybe at the last leg, tail end, we are sitting there to having some agility using data or having some risk-informed data generation for our decision-making process. And that agility would also help us understand the trends about what's happening to people. We hear so frequently, oh, disasters are increasing. And then some sectors inevitably attribute that to human-caused climate change. Because as you say, Bapon, the data are so weak, we actually do not have enough to determine whether or not disasters are increasing. And certainly attribution of a disaster to climate change, especially human-caused climate change, is very weak. There is no doubt that we're seeing weather, which is absolutely influenced by human-caused climate change. It is changing, we're doing it. What we don't hear often is that the people could have done something if only they had the resources, power, and opportunities. A flood doesn't have to be a disaster if people are ready for it. A drought doesn't have to be a disaster if people are ready for it. So yeah, of course, human-caused climate change is influencing water excess and water deficit. But if the resources were distributed equitably, if people had the opportunities for education and livelihoods, then they'd be able to deal with those situations. And this is where a lot of the quantitative data breaks down. Because to define a disaster, we have to say, well, is it number of people killed or number of people displaced or number of people affected or economic losses or casualties? And that's arbitrary. And the disaster databases out there have to make arbitrary decisions. When we know legislative baselines are changing, we know governance baselines are changing, and we know that in the past, even our remote observations could not capture all the hazards out there. And that people are taking these data, running a quantitative analyses, which assume perfect and complete data, and that assumption is wrong. So this is where you're absolutely right. That agility in understanding the people side of disasters, and then being able to do comprehensive and complete quantitative and qualitative analyses for risk. We have a long way to go and really appreciate your work in trying to improve it and trying to move forward. Thanks, Ilan. I just also like to conclude that also there is a lots of different perception about the vocabulary of risk. What actually we mean by that risk? Do we have a very standard definition of risks that everyone in the cross-domain really understand? And the answer is absolutely not. It's not just regarding scientific or academic vocabulary, but this is generally in English, and then we have to translate it. 
and interpret it for people who typically don't even have cultural concepts of bizarre words like vulnerability and resilience. Thank you so much, Ilan. Thanks, everyone, for listening to us. Uh, I'll hand over to Shelley Gandhi to maybe conclude and close the chapter. Thank you so much, Papon and Ilan. Thank you for highlighting points which are important. Climate change risk management has been a concerning topic. And as both of you highlighted and said, that the availability of Earth observation data for climate change has been there. And it has been vital at places. But on the other hand, we also need to know what the ground reality is. And we need to take into consideration about what the people think, how they react and how they fight with these calamities at the time of disasters. Again, it is important to optimize the resources for risk management. And we need to create scientific inferences when we talk about Human, our, human actions are creating climate change, or if we are looking at climate change is the cause of disasters, it's extremely important to have scientific evidence and look into the matter with more structured approach. Especially when we talk about data sets, it's extremely important also to ensure that these data sets are fair and they have been collected in using the best practices. Thank you so much, Ilan and Papon. And thanks, T. Thank you so much, Shelley. Thanks for listening to this episode from the Data for Disaster Risk Reduction podcast series. If you like our podcast and want to know more about the series, check out our website, www.crgf.org and follow us on social media. Please leave a review and like and share wherever you listen to the podcast.